You're listening to Don't Waste Water. It's not just us trying to extract value from the startups. It's very much a partnership in that way. But you're raising their value, so you're, you're shooting in your foot. I don't think necessarily. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. It's not that it's frustrating to not invest. It's more that we think that the long-term goal and benefit for Xylem is the commercialization potential and being able to sell more solutions and be able to bring it more to our customers. That's worth more than just the upside of investing. And equity is so valuable to the startups at this stage. That's not something that we're trying to take from them necessarily, unless there's a really, really good reason. And the commercialization pathway is what Xylem has, has much more value for, frankly, from a profit margin perspective. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Max Storto as my guest. There are technologies with sensational ideas that totally sputtered and failed. Whether or not they were venture funded, it doesn't even matter. And it's just because the execution wasn't as successful. So in terms of my dream finding that awesome technology provider, I think I'm much more excited about us forming a partnership that grows, that builds momentum, where we can achieve something together than just being like, oh, I found this great technology and they just succeeded. Max is lead innovation analyst at the Xylem Innovation Labs. Plagiarism is when you take one person's idea. Research is when you take a lot of people's ideas. So I like to just take and sprinkle in a bunch of different ideas from a lot of people that I've learned from. Xylem is one of the largest water and wastewater technology company globally and follows the simple motto, let's solve water. A bit more than one year ago, I invited Sivan Zamir on this microphone to discuss the Xylem Innovation Labs. Xylem's shiny, fascinating, and intriguing move into the startup accelerator world. That has been a well-received episode, but also one that sparked quite a lot of conversations. You know, Xylem is a listed behemoth. Everybody is well aware that they have to make money. So when they mention that they will help water industry companies to 10x their customer base, that they will fund pilots with the trial reservoir and fund other water accelerators with, for instance, Imagine H2O, it not only raises an eyebrow, but also generates a ton of questions and usually a very logical deduction. Of course, they will have a great positive impact on this company's path, but they will also reward themselves by taking stakes and equity in these companies, hence turning a pretty straightforward positive return on investment. Now, that's where it gets even more intriguing because in my process of getting a better understanding of the mechanics of the Xalm Innovation Labs with its scout Max, I actually uncovered something we had not discussed at all with Steven last year. Xylem doesn't take any equity in its incubated partners. Zero. And it doesn't stop there. They don't even expect these companies to be exclusive or tied to Xylem in anything beyond a simple NDA, which is merely more there to protect the startups than the water giant. We have an open relationship. So for a layman like me, it's hard to get the strategic sense of that move, until you shift your internal software and realize that what Xylem is pursuing with its innovation labs is not investment, it's R&D. And a bit like in a Google versus Apple approach you would see in tech, their bet here is that adopting an open innovation strategy is actually the most impactful and the best use of their money for the water ecosystem. Yes, because I believe Patrick Decker when he tells me he wants his company to have a positive impact. 
but it's also the best path to growth for Xylem itself. And a bit like the app or Play Stores have been great growth factors for Apple and Google, Xylem's further partnerships with the companies it strategically groomed may be significant commercial assets in a world of water challenges that are not getting easier or simpler. You'll see that this is just one of the many gems we uncovered while opening the hood and exploring the Xylem Innovation Labs engine with Max. Max, who by the way has been an incredible sparring partner able to cope with great openness with my sometimes annoying wittiness. I had great fun to record this one at the last Blue Tech Forum so I'll stop ranting and let you have great fun listening to it. Remember, if you like it, please take that episode and share it with a friend, a colleague, your boss or your team. And if you're new here, don't forget to subscribe. It's fully free and it helps a lot to support my one-man band. Come on, do it and I'll meet you on the other side. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Hi, Max. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Antoine. I'm really excited to be here. I'm super curious about what you're doing, super curious about your job, super curious about all you do and the way you do it. And you'll see in a minute that maybe that's my dream job. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm also curious about what I do because every day is different for my job and both in terms of like kind of my daily tasks and projects and things are, I have a lot of long-term goals that I'm working towards, but a lot of short-term both fun chaos and also unexpected chaos. And it's a, it's a good role. I, mean, I really like it. We gave a good teaser to everyone to go into the deep dive of the episode, but I have a tradition mm -hmm. that podcast, which is to start with the postcard. Uh -huh. So what can you tell me about the place you're usually at when you're not in Edinburgh, which yeah. I would not know by now? The buildings are a little newer in architecture. I live in Washington, D.C. So I'm from Massachusetts, northeastern part of the U.S. for folks who are not as familiar with U.S. geography and Washington, D.C. just a little bit further south. It's a good city where Xylem's headquarters actually are. Although I lived there and worked for Xylem before they moved their headquarters. So I just like to joke that they moved because of me. That's why they're there. Do you work in the Xylem office or are you kind of remote and working from home or... It's, it's a hybrid. I like to be really intentional when we're in the office together. So I try to turn off all my Zoom meetings and try to just make it so that all of our tech scouting team is based in Washington, D.C. so we can meet in person. But Xylem Innovation Labs team is global and I connect very frequently with my Xylem colleagues and a lot of startups and entrepreneurs and they're not all based in Washington, D.C. Actually, very few of them are, unfortunately. So I spend a lot of time. It's good, good opportunity for remote work there. So me and my dog hang out right next to each other typically is what it is. I'm asking because every time I discuss with someone from, from Xylem, I'm always amazed by the level of decentralization of the company. I had Austin Alexander and yeah. Steven Zamir uh, last year on the podcast. Basically, I was like, oh, it's an office. No, there's no office. My office is wherever I'm, my work is taking me. So yeah. it's not common at that level inside a company like Xylem, if it's not Xylem. So that's why I'm, I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, I mean, Xylem is an amalgamation of brands in some ways. So it's a lot of like newer companies all coming together and there's a lot of decentralization that comes with that. People stay where they like. For me, it's really attractive as a workplace because I can be in person when I want to, but I also have the flexibility to not. And so I can kind of live my life in the way that I enjoy. There's something in your path which made me very curious. Mm -hmm. You've been working uh, for the Iowa Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. I have no intention to dive into US politics because I would be very off <laughs> with my French knowledge. At that exact same place, I had a conversation with Paul Callahan just minutes ago about the rollout of SDG 6. Uh -huh. And I'm quite extreme with that uh -huh. because I don't believe anymore in the political power of achieving these kind of goals. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you've been 
working from the insides, maybe for the record so that you, you know as well, um, I've been a candidate for the Pirate Party at the US equivalent, maybe Congress. I made the best score of the, imagine yeah. what the best score of the Pirate Party okay. might be, uh -huh. but I made the best score. Uh, Impressive. So Impressive. I was a believer, no longer a believer. Yeah. Um, after that rant, what do you think is the influence of politics on the state of water? So I got into working for the Iowa Democratic Party. I just finished graduate school. Typically what happens when you go work for a campaign is you have to uproot your life, you quit, you move to a new place, and it's jarring, and it's like four or five months typically because it's just for the stretch run. One thing that's big, that's a difference in the US versus in France is our, our campaigns are very, very long. I think that what I learned from that experience and what I wanted to do was really talk to voters and talk to people about issues. And I wanted to work in a place where there was the president and senator and Congress was all hotly contested. And Iowa was one of, I think, three or four states that had like all three candidates really being kind of close. And water issues are really a big deal in Iowa. It's one of the larger agricultural entities or, or state producers in the US. I talked about water quality issues all the time. A lot of the conversations were, are you planning to vote? Do you know where your voting booth is? Do you know how to get there? Do you have a plan? That sort of thing. But we did get into conversations as well about goals of water. So it was, a lot of it was kind of low level stakeholder engagement, talking to folks for kind of grassroots style. And then in terms of the actual role of politics on water, especially in the US, there's like multiple levels. There's the federal level, there's state levels, and there's local levels. And I personally think that the most effect happens on the local side. I worked for a a coordinated campaign, which means that I was representing the Democratic candidates from all the way from Joe Biden for president, all the way down to kind of like very, very local levels. And for them, it's who manages the municipality. It's who executes on some of the goals, who makes sure that there are the right rules and regulations in place to measure water, who deals with it when water meters break and like what happens. A lot of times that's all local and municipalities and, and utilities are all public entities. And then on the federal level, there's recently the EPA just announced regulations for PFAS to regulate. So that's, that's really exciting. Uh, we'll see what happens. There's it's open comment period, which means that there's potentially subject to change, but either way, there's kind of the push and incentive structure that comes from the federal side. And then it's the local folks who really execute and see whether something comes into reality. At least that's my opinion. I don't want to take you too far down the tangents, but uh -huh. still you have to be two to have a conversation. So you yeah. mentioned having this grassroots com conversation. Mm -hmm. What's the level of awareness about the water challenges? Let's take just one infrastructure deal in the US, which yeah. is the state of the water networks. You have yeah. this EPA survey, which comes out every five years yeah. and which estimates how much shall be invested in the networks so that yes. it goes back to a good state. Yeah, and yeah. if I'm not mistaken, the last one was around $580 billion that had to be invested to bring the networks yes. back to good state. And that number yeah. is constantly going up since the, the 80s. Those grassroots levels of conversation, what's the level of, of yeah. awareness about that? I think you're you're talking a lot about the American Society for Civil Engineer. They estimate under investment in infrastructure, what the state of infrastructure is and what needs to happen in order to get it to, to modernize and improve. Uh, so they look at bridges, they look at waterways, they look at pipelines. And I think at a high level, people don't talk about it on a daily basis. They don't experience politics or policy as much unless it really affects them on a local level. So people unfortunately react to crises. So if a bridge falls in their neighborhood, they're going to they're going to know that. Or if a number of pipelines break and there's huge leakages and main, like water main breaks that flood their neighborhood, people are going to know about that. And oftentimes you have to wait for the symptoms to get so bad that it's kind of a literally an explosive challenge. But 
I think at a very high level, there are people who are open to conversations. And I find it to be most effective on, in that grassroots level to connect other people who had that experience from their neighborhoods. It's almost like the idea, like how in the water industry, I do voice of customer and take those customer lenses and try to introduce them to each other to kind of talk about problems because who am I, some innovation employee at Xylem to give their thoughts. Similarly, how, who was I, someone who was not from Iowa, to kind of tell them how they could vote and what they should worry about. So it, it did a lot of network building. And it was almost like the way that at least the campaign worked, you start from nothing. And I like created my own team of volunteers and that were from around the country. I have friends from actually other countries who worked with me to help do like lots of phone baking and such. But once you got all these peers together and you got a lot of folks from the hometown to make those phone calls and to knock on doors, that was, it's much more effective that way. I discussed with Josiah Cox from Central States Water Resources. So one of the biggest, if not the largest consolidations of these small size utilities in the US. Mm -hmm. And we discussed how there is every year, some days in the year, a boiling water notice. Mm -hmm. And I'm really surprised how, how that can be common in yeah. the world's strongest economy. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'd say one thing, in my opinion, that's kind of tough about the relationship between utilities or managers or police and, and individuals, like kind of everyone who's part of a, a local government, is they really just contact you when there's a problem. Sometimes people's only interaction with their water utility is when they get that water oil notice because mm -hmm. they don't know how to find their water quality reports and we need to do a better job of kind of educating and looking at oh there's ways to interact with your utilities or your managers all year round you don't need to just wait for this challenge that's one piece that we can do the second is water price in the u.s in particular and i'm sure globally too is is a challenge we want it to be a human right and i believe it is a human right i think there's a lot of reasons to keep water prices low but There are challenges when you do that. There are underinvestments in infrastructure and underinvestment in treatment, and we could do more. And there's some cities that have like water boil notices very, very routinely, and they're oftentimes less wealthy neighborhoods within less wealthy cities. So it's, it's certainly an income inequality and wealth inequality issue as well. I promise we'll come to the core of the topic, but I looked up your profile before that conversation, and I think that's your Twitter handle, mm. and I'm curious about that. What do you have against the Oxford College? Oxford College, fair, yeah. I'm not a fashionista. I'm, a, I'm not very good. Typically, what you see me, you ask me where, what my backdrop for my postcard would be. My, my typical garb, especially if it was internal phone calls, would be I had a, a V-neck t-shirt, pretty much. I just like very, very casual, and I think in Europe, you actually do better job people express themselves better with fashion and have different colors. And in the US, it's just like stayed. Everyone has their black or brown or blue suits, or like maybe you have stripes if you're really out there. But there's something about the Oxford College, especially when there's like a different color collar versus uh, your shirt that I just always thought looked kind of tacky. So it's just, it's, it's just personal preference. And just I thought it was fact, provocative and funny on Twitter really is what it just is. Just the fact that you know that the Oxford Collar exists makes you already more of a fashionista than, than I am. I had to Google it to understand what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was trying to do Oxford comma, Oxford collar, and trying to be clever. And as you have probably sensed in us getting to know each other a little bit this morning, I'm mostly just self-deprecating and trying to make fun of myself as much as I can. So that's my pathway. Okay, let me take you to, to the serious part of that conversation and to the deep dive, which is yeah. what you're doing. You, you hinted a bit what, what you're doing at the Xylem Innovation yeah. Labs. Mm -hmm. Maybe just in a sentence, how do you describe what you're doing? And so one sentence, Xylem Innovation Labs is the partnership entity within Xylem that explores relationships or partnerships with early stage technology providers. And within that, 
I am in charge with scouting and evaluating all the different technology providers that we could partner with so that they could help complement Xylem's existing offerings and improve our portfolio stack so that we try to help commercialize. So they provide the right, the great technologies and we help with pathway to commercialization. I had a conversation last year about the Xylem Innovation Labs with uh, Steven Zamir. Let's do a bit of housekeeping for the ones that would have missed that conversation and really they missed something. Mm -hmm. So there's a link in the show notes and you probably want to listen to that one as well. But housekeeping, you have different tracks within Xylem Innovation Labs. So mm -hmm. can you just describe us a bit how yeah. all of that works? So first of all, you should listen to S Sivan podcast. She's my manager. So I'd be remiss to say that it, I'm sure it's great because she's great. Um, so you secured your bonus. That's secured, good. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Important. Yes, yes. I, should have, I should have said a closer <laughs> to decision making point for bonuses. So there's multiple paths. So I think where Xylem is really effective at supporting technology providers is helping them get from client five to 50 faster than if they did it on their own. Getting from client zero to five is kind of tough for us as a partner. And the reason being is that we're a large company. Oftentimes, if you were just going from zero to one, it's technology validation, it's customer validation. There's no case studies necessarily to pull from. And frankly, we would just probably slow you down in that process to connect you. So really, like that's one pathway is for our what we call our commercial accelerator. And the commercial accelerator helps with those companies that have a proven technology and a robust and growing revenue stream. Uh, and we help kind of catalyze that speed. Do you have numbers? You, yeah. you mentioned the customers from five to 50, but in yeah. terms of turnover, yeah. how would that translate? Kind of depends on the type of technology. We think more about the number of clients you have and whether you okay. have paid clients. So uh, for us, the minimum criteria to enter our accelerator is you have at least three deployments and one of them has to be a paying customer. So especially with treatment, that's oftentimes really difficult to even have one paying customer. If we're talking something less expensive, like like sensor technologies, talking mostly about hardware now, or, or maybe some SaaS programs that might be on a subscription model, probably looking for a little bit more. I think our sweet spot is somewhere in the 500K revenue to 1 million as like a kind of a baseline. But we have worked with entities that are even smaller in that program. It's oftentimes really high potential breakthrough technologies okay. is what that looks like. So, so that's one track. That's one track, yes. And the other track for us that we're working with, uh, we call our early stage incubation program. Last year, we went through it and it was working with technologies that were less mature. This year, we're going to focus and grow it to be more thematically based. So really kind of bringing together a lot of different experts who are it's like focusing on contaminants of emerging concern or nutrient recovery or clean energy generation in the water space and helping decarbonize the water space. Things that are really big issues that need a whole host of solutions from in a lot of different applications. That's going to be our focus. And I think for that incubator space, that's going to be a longer development. So the accelerator is more one year. That partnership happens where it culminates in a technology demonstration with a Xylem client that we can then learn from that experience and then showcase that to the rest of our client portfolio to see if it's something that they would like to try themselves. It's almost think of it as like a pilot, not just for one end client, but a pilot to be part of a distribution network. So, so those are two tracks which are internal to the Xylem Innovation Labs. Correct. You also have external partnerships, if I'm right, with the Trident Reservoir, with Burnt yes. Island Ventures. Correct, yes. So that's what we call our open innovation ecosystem. And okay. that's one of the roles or positions that I oversee is like, how do we maintain relationships with folks outside of Xylem? And because we don't want to do everything ourselves. And I think of things along the, the company development life cycle. Like I said before, Xylem is a lot better at helping 
someone get from client five to 50, but there's a lot of great organizations that are helping someone get from zero to five. And so we work with the funders, like the Burnt Island Ventures or Trial Reservoir, which helps with getting a pilot demonstration and, and making the first connection. We work with a number of accelerators, very, very early stage. So accelerators that are kind of like ideas right after university or ones that are more advanced. We work with a number of universities as well. And there's just a number of different organizations because we all try to coordinate and work together. I think in terms of economics 101, because I probably wasn't smart enough to do economics 102. At a high level, there there's this concept of comparative advantage. And I think very strategically about that. It's like basically choose where you are most suited to help and other people focus on where they are suited to help. And as long as you can then collaborate together and work and, and kind of coordinate and share ideas, then that's where you get the best overall outcomes is when people focus on what they can deliver the best. What's your definition of open innovation? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's, it's still, it's a moving target. Open innovation from Xylem are the folks outside of Xylem itself who are building an innovation ecosystem. Those are all groups that build up and work on innovating and supporting technology providers. Startups are, we kind of think of startups as part of the open innovation ecosystem, but really it's like the support network for the technology providers is what we think of. So let's come now to the core of what you do. Mm -hmm. I see you like, you know, this, you would call it soccer. I'm going to call it football because <laughs> I'm from Europe. You have a football match. It's a match from 11 or 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, that's the age at which you, you have to detect them and mm -hmm. to decide who's going to be the next Messi or yeah. Ronaldo okay. or Mbappe. So you're one of the guys which is sitting next to, to that field mm -hmm. and you're trying to find out who's the most talented. Just, it's not people playing football, it's water companies. Yeah. How far off am I with this oversimplification? I think that it's not just me doing it. First of all, for me, I'd probably be looking at basketball. That's the analogy I know the most. <laughs> And from what I understand, like Messi was recruited when he was like six or something. So that's just, can't believe how football works. But overall at a high level, the scouting process isn't just let's look for the best technology or let's look for the best talent and then make those rise to grow. Because at least with sports, the goal is to win games. And there's some idea of like what that athlete can do on a pitch, for example, and what they need to provide. There's that target. To think about what fits well with Xylem and what Xylem can do to help support technologies, it needs to be something that Xylem has the ability to support, that we have the expertise to support. We have the sales network to support and we have the right resources to support. And I'm sure a host of other things as well. Our process for scouting starts well before just identifying those technologies. The first step for us is identifying what are Xylem's customers' largest challenges and how does Xylem's current portfolio of solutions really address those challenges. What are Xylem's customers' biggest challenges? This is something that is sort of new for Xylem's innovation lab team to, to focus on because we Originally, we're focusing on like, what are those technologies and let's push those out. And now it's, it's really kind of focused on those challenges first. The first one that we're focusing on right now is kind of net zero and helping decarbonize the water sector, at least reducing the carbon footprint within the water sector. Uh, so that could be something along the lines of with wastewater, improving uh, aeration optimization or reducing N2O emissions for pro in process emissions. Is that a real challenge? they are facing and they tell you they are facing or is that the one that really looks good? That's a, that's a really good question. And we question that sometimes because we take what our customers say at face value, but we also look at what their intentions are and their reactions are. Not every challenge is global. So I think there are a lot of 
groups that are focusing on those challenges. So specifically in the US, uh, in North America, and in Europe, there are focusing on net zero. And okay. here in the UK, like N2O process emissions is a big deal. It's another challenge for us. Xylem's portfolio is more focused on municipal treatment. So we're trying to work on industrial treatment solutions as well. And there are a number of different technologies that are really innovative there. Because I think the difference is that there's a lot more standardized waste streams that come out of industrial players, whereas municipalities, they have to deal with kind of everything that comes from every single direction, residentials, industrials, you name it, whatever it is. And so there's a lot of new technologies you can do there. Uh, for us, decentralized treatment, decentralized treatment can mean so many different things, uh, but there's, there, that's one focus for us as well. Helping deal with contaminants of emerging concern. That's a big focus. What's your definition of contaminants of emerging concern? Yeah, so first of all, we say contaminants of emerging concern, not emerging contaminants of concern, because the contaminants have been around for a long time. Uh, it's just maybe we care about it more now. So for us, uh, we and look, yeah. We can measure them now. We, we maybe couldn't in the past. So I think that that's a challenge too. We need to have better sensors and better ways to measure them. But I do agree that there are, there are more effective ways to do it now than there used to be. PFAS is a big one. Everyone's talking about that. I don't think that's surprising. Microplastics is something we talk about as well. And nutrient recovery is something that kind of fits into the industrial treatment piece as well that Xylem doesn't have as many solutions of, but Xylem's customers certainly have those challenges too. So something we're looking at. I'm asking because depending on the side of the Atlantic you're on, mm -hmm. the answer is slightly different. Yeah. Contaminants of emerging concern in the US, you're right, is no brainer, it's PFAS. Yeah. In Europe, it's micropollutant. Yeah. And I think more than a think, because that's my Suez yours, my biggest competitor was Xylem uh -huh. and it was 50-50. Uh -huh. So I guess you have technologies to solve the micropollutants in the European exception. Yeah. With your ozonation lines. Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, there and, are solutions there. And I think that they don't necessarily work in every context. I think in some of the emerging markets that we, that we work in, some of our solutions don't translate well there. They need to be localized solutions. They need to have different cost points. Contaminants Good. of emerging concern is, is one of these areas you're looking to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another is what we call our digital workforce. So it's as, as a lot of individuals and utilities are aging out and there's fewer new talent coming in, how can we do more with less? So how can we be more efficient? Are there new tools that employees can be using? That's one piece. And then another piece that something in the future, our team is interested in and more broadly within Xylem is helping deal with flooding issues. Xylem's a pump company in a lot of ways, as, as you know, especially in Europe, that's, that's our bread and butter. There's a lot of dewatering solutions and opportunities to help with addressing some flood challenges. So how are there ways to help, for example, identify where we should be putting those dewatering pumps at the right time? And are there ways that we can help alleviate some of those kind of really, really intense issues during flooding events? So, so that defines your playground. You have to solve for at least one of these challenges. Now, how do you do that? Yeah, so, so all those challenges, the way that we collected that data is we did something we call a voice of business, which essentially there's all of our teams that are customer facing, aggregate all their information about what they learn, fill out some information for us so that we can select those priorities. They are then endorsed and supported with it by our business units. So, so far, the Innovation Labs team hasn't really made many decisions about what they are. We've interpreted the data, we've collected the data, but it's really the business units that are supporting the decisions for what those priorities are. So the next step, that's where I start to get into the scouting. We run a program to help kind of coordinate across Xylem to bring everyone together. So there's 10 companies coming into a funnel at the same time, as opposed to 10 separate projects that might come in at 10 different times within the year. It's just harder to bring all the right actors in. So you mean 10 sub 
companies inside XLM? 10 startups that we partner with okay. during our accelerator program. Yeah. And we do that all within like the beginning of the year in January. So going back in time, really our scouting effort, we invite companies to apply. And the way that we find those companies is oftentimes through our open innovation ecosystem. So you asked about that. So we form partnerships with all those accelerators and those VC firms and universities uh, who have technology spinoffs and more and they help identify who some of those who some of the great actors are that are coming down the pipeline so you would open the imagination to alumni portfolio and say look uh, we have these challenges all those guys would fit maybe we should ask them to apply and then you would watch them listen to their pitch and then decide if they can be part of your 10 positions yeah that's that's certainly the way that we would consider whether we'd invite them to apply that's one piece and imagination is a wonderful organization who we support greatly and they also what we like about them is They have a U.S. presence. They also have their Asia team as well, Imagine to Asia. So it's a global goal because our accelerator and our efforts are global. And, and, and they yeah. have the broadest alumni portfolio. They have, they have very, yeah, exactly. And especially from a pure water perspective. There's a number of other folks. We look at who's won grants recently or who's won different awards. There's like different ways to kind of uncover different projects and goals. Another nugget is that Xylem's, employees themselves, they know the space very well that they operate in. So we ask them for advice about if there's any interesting technologies they've seen that they would like to partner with, they would want us to look more into. On a volunteer basis, or do they have any kind of reward if they bring you a winner? Oh, good question. Uh, we do have incentive structures. It's more geared towards the pilot identification or the technology demonstration on the back end. But typically people love giving their ideas and advice about which technologies we should be partnering with. So that's not, it has not been a problem yet. Hopefully you don't give any ideas that we have to all of a sudden like change our budget for this. Like if there's any group of people that just have nuggets of wisdom that we can look into, that's, that's the group. It would be Xylem secret sauce. And you also have like an open call for applications. So we haven't done the open call for applications and mostly it's because we don't want to waste startups time. I think with, if it's a more generalist accelerator, it's easier to say like, look, Like, it'd be great to have everyone apply, but we don't want people to all apply. And then it'd be, oh, but we only have one of these few different innovation priorities. And yes, I'll tell them to you. Um, but we, we also just because Xylem's like trying to be somewhat protective, we don't just like blast it on the Internet and share it everywhere uh, in the same way. We just try to be a little bit more protective and focused on that. So you watch the grants, you watch yeah. the alumni of various accelerators, yes. and you're asking to your internal stakeholders if they have recommendation that Correct. would be your three sources that'd be three of the sources yeah exactly yeah. you have more sure yeah we work with all the venture capital firms that we invest in that's part of like one of the main benefits we don't just invest in for the financial reward we invest because we share ideas and best practices come to conferences like blue tech meet people that haven't met in person or maybe have heard of companies before but it's very different hearing their pitch and talk to them once they apply though within the funnel all the applications we sort them and make sure that they have a lot of the key information that we want. And then we give the best applications back to the business units. We have an advisory council with, within Xylem Innovation Labs that's made from Xylem employees and they handpick and select the companies. You, you went too fast for my little brain here. Of these five sources, yeah. again, grants, accelerators, internal recommendation from employees, yeah. VCs and conferences like Bluetech. Yeah. And before you send them back to the BU, do you do kind of a, an evaluation, a ranking, mm -hmm. uh, a sorting of those applications? So we have a number of questions within an application. It's not that dissimilar to like 
Imagine H2O's application to apply. Okay. And so we take that information and we add our own Zion Innovation Labs perspective on all of those companies as okay. well. Uh, so that the business units who might not have as much familiarity with startups themselves, but know the space and end user better than, frankly, certainly I do better than most of my colleagues on the Innovation Labs team as well. They help use our perspective. They use what the startups fill out. There's a video, the pitch that the startups provide. So there's a lot of information they have at their disposal to help then select. At that stage, how many do you have? At the very beginning of the funnel, like before we kind of even do the filtering, we're looking through like three to 400. In our invitation to apply, I think we invited around 50 companies, 50 to 60 companies last year. Most of them do apply because most of them are excited about working with us, especially the second year. The first year we did it, there was a lot of explaining like, what is the accelerator? What are we doing? Uh, now there's, there's just some more testimonials and experiences with the startup. So they know a little bit more about what we do. So now there's within that, let's call it 40 or 50. From there, most of those uh, go to, in the end to the business units. So the business units now receive 40 to 50 applications and they have to give you their input so that you bring it down and you trim it down to 10. Correct. Yes, exactly. So they provide the input and then they provide, they rank them. They also give them a score. And for the most part, we're trying to get diversity across the business units. So we're not just having 10 companies that are all water treatment solutions. Do, do they commit as well? Like they pledge or they become sponsors or they have to give some mentorship or I don't know? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So that's like within the accelerator themselves. And this is where actually I, I often hand off to some of my colleagues on the Innovation Labs team. We have innovation managers that are either re have regional expertise and domain expertise. So one, one of my colleagues is expert in pumps. He's based in the US. Another one is an expert in sensors and kind of water quality measuring. He's based in Europe. We have a third expert who's based in India who knows treatment and water transport. Like all three of them are the ones that engage and they bring in all of the right actors at different times. We have an innovation champions program, which means that we have folks within Xylem that want to work with startups that is volunteer based uh, and they apply to work with the startups themselves. And a lot of the, the advisory council members who are selecting those companies to get into our accelerator, they do pledge some time and effort whether it's their own or some of their colleagues to help work with those companies throughout the accelerator program. The one you mentioned that will be working with the startups, is it on top of their regular duties or yeah. are they detached by their BU yeah. so that they spend some time on that? Yeah. So the innovation managers who work with them, they're part of our team. That's their full-time job. Mm -hmm. The innovation champions, it is additional. So their managers okay them to do that for, it's usually like starts like a couple hours a week. Sometimes they don't meet at all, but oftentimes it's, it's like providing some domain expertise because they're sales experts in Bangladesh and there's a, we're working with a technology that works in India that wants to move to Bangladesh as well. So there's someone else that we can bring in from Xylem who has a, like an expertise that that startup might have not had access to before. Does the fact of being selected within this 10 necessarily mean that there's an investment of Xylem or is it totally different topics? Yeah, so we, we don't take equity, for example, right now within, for the startups that join our accelerator. We've talked about that Xylem's potential long-term play and like the Innovation Labs team is measured on is how many commercial agreements can we sign? And then within five or 10 years, theoretically, we could get to a point where it's what are the revenues that are generated from these new technologies that, that were at one point part of Xylem Innovation Labs programming? So that means that these companies, these 10 companies now two cohorts, so 20 companies, which yeah. you bring from five to 50 yeah. customers, theoretically speaking, sure. you don't have 
any stakes in the company mm -hmm. and they might fully walk off and and do something else once they're they're done the acceleration theoretically but that that's what that's what relationship building and trust building is for okay and i think over the course of our accelerator we're trying to show that we are one of hopefully the but one of the multinationals that you could partner with so it's coming on us to help show why we could be valuable to them. It's not just us trying to extract value from the startups. It's very much a partnership in that way. But you're raising their values, so you're, you're shooting in your foot. I don't think necessarily. So at least the mindset we have is that there's only one piece that, we sign, that has to be part of the MOU that really is like protective. And that's we want them to let us know if they are to enter a commercial arrangement that would preclude them from working with Xylem. That's literally the only part of the MOU that anyone could have an issue with. We've so, had lawyers from the startups who say, this is all you have to sign in order to do this. They thought it was like, uh, there was some, like we were hoodwinking them or something, but really that's it. So you want to know, but nothing prevents them. It's just that you have to be aware. Yeah, we have to be aware, exactly. Wow. Certainly we're taking a chance on that. But I think in, in other ways, we're also getting to know these startups so well over the course of the year. They're getting to know us really well there's a lot more learning about what it would be like to form that partnership in the long term. We sign an NDA eventually once like they join the accelerator as well. And that's a mutual NDA, so it's both sides. Uh, it's oftentimes to protect the startups uh, even more than protecting Xylem. And from that case, it's really just kind of building that relationship over time. And the end result, it, it's oftentimes not, oh, we go through one year of accelerator, now we can t take over the world and like put our transport technology in every single utility around like just in one day there's still a scaling ability there's still growth challenges and we work with them over the course of that commercialization pathway as well you did the scouting you have these mm -hmm. routes you assess them you got the feedback from the bu mm -hmm. you decide on the 10 that's the point where you hand over you mean me max yeah so yes that is when i pass it off but however like the way that we joke on our team is that I'm the least engineering person on our team. I'm more of the market analyst, business analyst. I have a background in investing. Oftentimes I've brought in at certain points to help develop a business case or help with financial analysis to kind of build out revenue projections and other things like that. So I do work very closely with my colleagues there. And I also, by doing that, I learn what the challenges are of our colleagues again. So it further reinforces the me scouting at the beginning to see what like solutions could help solve. So it's good that I'm still involved, but really I'm more of the support network at that point in time. I'm not driving the ship there. You have a background in investing. Isn't it frustrating to not invest? First of all, I like to work for a operator. I've done some investing. I worked, I, I was not necessarily the investor myself, but I worked for an investment firm. It was an ESG investment firm in here in in the UK or in France, you would just call that investment. But in the US, we have to have that extra clarifier. And it's not that it's frustrating to not invest. It's more that we think that the long-term goal and benefit for Xylem is the commercialization potential and being able to sell more solutions and be able to bring it more to our customers. That's worth more than just the upside of investing. And equity is so valuable to the startups at this stage. That's not something that we're trying to take from them necessarily, unless there's a really, really good reason. And the commercialization pathway is what Xylem has, has much more value for, frankly, from a profit margin perspective. How do the Xylem Innovation Labs come into the global R&D package mm -hmm. of Xylem? You, yeah. you're, you're spending 187, 204, and 206 million in R&D over the past three years, mm -hmm. which is about 4% of the company's revenue. Mm -hmm. 
Are the Gazillium Innovation Labs part of that or does it come on top? It's part of that. Yeah, exactly. So the way that we, that we operate, are, we're part of the innovation team within Zion. There's an innovation technology and product team. And the way that we think about it is we complement our R&D. So R&D and all of our engineering teams, they focus on product development. They focus what maybe it's Horizon 1, maybe it's Horizon 2 solutions. But moreover, it's they're developing great technologies and technologies that we're scouting for, that we're partnering with. We want it to complement what they do. And we're not necessarily trying to cannibalize. Sometimes we're trying to challenge them for doing better if it's maybe an older technology, but for like at a high level, most of what we do is trying to help complement what we do. So it's part of the R&D package. You gave your definition of, of open innovation. I'm still surprised at the fact that you don't take equity and that mm-hmm. you yeah. really rely on your ability to convince the startup that you're going to be the right partner in the yeah. future looking yeah. forward. What's your definition from innovation with impact? This actually goes back to some of my thinking with uh, when I did work for the ESG investment firm. There are kind of two ways to have impact with, let's just call it like, I think of it as process or product development. So process to me is like, how do you as a company function? Do you count your carbon emissions? Do you pay your workers well? Do you have good practices? Things that you should just have as a good company. Then there's the, does your product help solve problems that you're aiming for? So in Xylem's case, are you alleviating water challenges? Are you reducing carbon footprints of end users? Things that I think are fairly, to, it's really difficult to have both, and especially in the public markets. One reason I wanted to come and work at Xylem is because they actually do accomplish both. Innovation with impact, we look at sustainability metrics. We look at diversity of our founders that are part of our accelerator program and who we work with. We have, a, I think, over a third of all of the founders that have been in our program since we started two years ago were, have been women. And we have about a third, probably, have been also non-US. Uh, we want that to be a little bit higher, actually. It's something our goal is for a metric. But a lot of our impact and our goals are how do we help our customers reduce their challenges? And net zero, this is something that has impact. Improving and reducing contaminants from emerging concern that has impact. And I think it's just like a byproduct of being in this water sector that a lot of this, the challenges we're trying to solve. And I think that's probably why you're interested in water issues. Is I'd love to hear what you have to say too. I don't have a good answer. I'm the one with the questions. That's my privilege of not answering my... <laughs> all right, I'll ask you offline then. In all seriousness, it sounds to me like what you explain about this innovation with impact mm-hmm. has a lot of personal elements. Does that mean that the biggest impact is investing in people more mm-hmm. than a tech, a company or a prospect? Yeah, I think that often so... I mean, investing, not investing, yeah. because you're not investing, sure. <laughs> sorry. Sure, yeah, okay, yeah. But I, betting... Uh, but we're investing our time. So I think that the there's a lot of different criteria that we look at to determine what company or what team would be good fit within our accelerator program. So yes, we talked about does it solve a challenge, but there, especially when it's early stage, it's really dependent on the quality of the team. I think even more so than a larger established company where there's established processes you could depend on. What is the traction they've already looked, they've already accomplished? Do they have clients that are interested already? Do they have good case studies? Do they have a pipeline coming forward? What is their total addressable market? That's a piece. Uh, and is it a large enough market that within Xylem, if we did, 
invest a lot of our time? Is it helpful that we can we actually scale it? So the fourth is technology. So what? how good is the technology? How good is the solution? It's not always tech. Sometimes it's just a, a service potentially. And then the fifth is terms. So like what would a partnership look like? Like how could Xylem help support these, the technology provider or the solution provider? How can the solution provider help partner with Xylem? So thinking about all those elements, like that's I think what we're looking at for a good quality partnership with a technology provider. You now have two full cohorts of companies you've been working with, mm-hmm. so 20 companies. Mm-hmm. As a scout, yeah. who's your favorite? They're all my favorite, depending on, who, depending on who's nicest to me that day, probably. No, I think that there's, I'm really curious how some of the groups within, some of the 10 companies within this cohort are gonna shape up. There are a number of technology providers that are kind of developing their pilots now. One piece that's, that was special about this year that was harder to do last year is we met in person this year. So we had a symposium. We brought all of the innovators together in one room with a, a number of Xylem executives and, and other colleagues to come in. Our advisory council was there. And it was really special to see them all interact. And in some ways, I, I like walked in, I was like very nervous. I was like, this almost felt like meeting the family. It's like, like getting married. And it's like, oh, are they going to all get along? And you realize they're all adults. They're all happy. They're all pretty good at this. They all just can be water nerds together. So that I think that for, for me, it was just that was special seeing that environment. But some of them are competitors. There are some competitive aspects, absolutely. So how do you deal with that? Because you don't yeah. invest in them. So that yes. means you have a project, a commercial project, and then you have two technologies within the acceleration, yeah. which might be suited. How do you pick the one which is going to be deployed? There was one technology provider that was competitive with one of our other partners, actually, that we worked with, a, one, a delivery partner. And what we learned was that in the process, actually, the company in our accelerator wasn't was also not the right partner. It led us to be able to ask the right questions in the long term to make sure that the existing partnership was even stronger, and it helped us make a decision to continue going with them in a way that we might not have. So that was that. That's one. When it's a direct competitor, I think that there's oftentimes it's not like it's a competitor in, in every single application with every single end client. Oftentimes, there's a technology provider that. Maybe it's uh, an aeration solution, for example, like a, go back to that, like I had that example earlier, it competes with Sanitaire. And Sanitaire solutions work large scale. Maybe there's, an, there's one that works kind of at smaller scales or for uh, industrial clients, and, and that might not be Sanitaire's sales channel because uh, Sanitaire is mostly focused on larger scale municipalities. So how can they work together to complement our portfolio to extend and expand the number of and the types of Xylem end users. That's often the way we, we talk about it and think about it. You rapidly touched on your KPI mm-hmm. of these numbers of project commercialized down the line. Can you be a bit more specific? How do you measure that and what's, what's the target? I like to work backwards because that's how I figure out what the KPIs are. So mm-hmm. our overall goals are to have high revenues in the long, that does not happen overnight with, this, with the partnerships we're working with. So within a year of our programming, at least, the question is, how many commercial agreements are we signing? In between ten, you and the companies? Between or? us and the startups, exactly. Most of the relationships are some sort of exploration of Xylem is a customer of the startup. So maybe we are a licensed reseller or value-added reseller. Maybe, we're, maybe we can license the technology. Maybe we white-label the technology. We've talked about joint venture, although that's not something we've really expanded on now. That would, I guess, be the investment. Um, back to your question. But at a high level, like if that's our goal to get to that many. And for us, like it's not quite the same as like a venture percentage, but for us, like two or three would be a pretty good number for a given year. We actually had the first cohort we had, we're still having conversations with some of the, the startups that we're working with, but 
we had a lot more success than we anticipated in the first year. So there, we learned a lot and there was a lot of companies that ended up being longer term potential partners. That's like our end goal. So for me, at least the way I think of it from the scouting perspective, there's kind of two factors that determine the quality of the companies that are going in. One is how many companies are we scouting? So that's in some ways about fact finding and treasure hunting. And the other is, are there ways to help improve the quality of the companies that are in the ecosystem? And that's one. That's another way that we lean on our open innovation ecosystem partners and we help support them and we work with them over the course of their programming as well to help kind of educate or maybe provide some insights to the startups that are in Imagine H2O's portfolio, for example. I call it cynicism, but mm-hmm. I'd still like to understand at which point we, you, you expect to invest in those companies. Mm-hmm. If it's not in the accelerator, fine, yeah. I get your point. Yeah. But still somewhere down the line, you want to have those in your portfolio, don't you? Yeah, so I, so I think that there's kind of three pathways. So in my mind, the strategy and the overall goal is how can Xylem improve its solution stack? And there's a number of different pathways to get access to new technology, new solutions. You could acquire a company, full, go like full out, right? And within that, you could take a percentage of investment. Another is you could have a partnership where it's just a commercial partnership and you have a contract. And like, these are, this is what your goals, this is what your responsibilities are based on that contract. This is what Xylems are. And then the third would be internal research and development. That's another pathway to create new technologies. And there's different reasons to pull at each of those. But to me, they're all just tools and partnership is just one of the tools. And in terms of like the longer term, when we could invest, I think we've been open to the fact that if there is a company in our portfolio that they're actively fundraising and they want Xylem on their cap table, then we, w- we could bring it to, a, I, our team talks very regularly with our corporate development team, the folks that lead M&A activity, that, that's, that could be on the table. We have not done that yet. But for the most part, that's because because your M&A team is a bit busy. Well, they, they have been busy this year, actually, <laughs> after a few years. They've been busy every every year. Don't worry, Antoine. Uh, from what I understand, they've been very, very strategic. But this year they've had some uh, some big wins, um, for, as you can imagine. But for the most part, those the, the startups that we're working with in terms of investing, we we don't want to hamper them. We want them to be good at what they do. We want them to be flexible. We want them to be able to take chances. We want them to be able to go test the market, move fast maybe break things sometimes. And for us, we want to just help them commercialize and, and like help them grow, like make intros to clients, test their technology, new applications, provide some resources, to, uh, both in-kind and, and other like hardware resources to help them potentially grow and do what they, they need to do well. And I think in terms of just the full separation of in the partnership, sometimes you can do what you want to do best. If I go back to the early stage of your involvement with those companies, as a scout, don't you have this, this dream of, yes, you have these five paths, but outside of these five paths, you find out the hidden gem. Mm-hmm. It wasn't part of an accelerator. Maybe they were in a country which is not mapped as yeah. good as the other ones. Plus, the Xylem folks don't know it yet. But, but that's a treasure. Isn't mm-hmm. it something you're, you're looking for? Yeah, it's it's interesting. One, a couple of the technologies you're working with, for example, they're not VC backed. And I think going into this, I had the mindset, and this is something that's kind of changed over time, that most of the technology you work with should have venture funding. Do you know many venture funds in, in the water sector? We do know a lot. We, we have open communication with many of them and we share ideas pretty mm-hmm. often. Many that have also investment in water but pure plays in water there's burnt island ventures, ventures yeah mazarin ventures yeah who uh, else 
Oh yeah, there's uh, the group that I worked with, Echo River Capital. They're they're pretty new uh, and and growing, but that, okay. that's one. That's early stage. There's Ski on Water, which is more of a private. Okay, Ski on Water. You can okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's and we have a different definition of venture capital. Okay, Ski on Water is that's an incredible company, but I wouldn't qualify them as venture capital. And when right. I had Reinhard Hübner on that microphone, he even declined the term of being an investor. Mm, interesting. Uh, okay, so I I think that they're they're certainly in, I would say I would call them an investor. Uh, but they, they should call themselves what they want. I appreciate that. Uh, I agree they're not venture. That's true. They're not very early stage venture. That's, that's, that's 100% true. Other examples I was thinking about are later stage investing as well. Yeah, in private that's markets. my point is that you, you find growth stage capital. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't find so much venture yes, capital just yes. because it's a difficult field. So that's yeah. why I guess in the water sector compared yeah. to other sectors, you would have potentially much more hidden gems outside of mm -hmm. the radar, even yeah. if Burnt Island and Mazarin are doing amazing yeah. jobs yeah not putting that into question yeah, yeah. at all mm -hmm. i'm really amazed by what they're doing but i think you have a chance as a scout to to find that find company which i don't know had an interview with me and uh, yeah no I, th I think that there is a chance the effort and partnerships with startups there's the idea and then it, that's key that's like necessary how good the technology is but it's not sufficient it's oftentimes the execution of the idea and how they grow and you see that in the partnership. You see that there are technologies with sensational ideas that totally sputtered and failed. Whether or not they were venture funded, it doesn't even matter. And it's just because the execution wasn't as successful. So in terms of my dream finding that awesome technology provider, I think I'm much more excited about us forming a partnership that grows, that builds momentum where we can achieve something together than just being like, oh, I found this great technology and they just succeeded. It's not like a sports agent or going back to your analogy earlier. Right, I but take a different analogy. Work. You don't want to find Luke Skywalker. Yeah. If he's not trained by the Jedi, he's not worth it. So. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Luke never would want to partner with Luke Skywalker. That wouldn't be the worst. Um, definitely. <laughs> okay, that was, <laughs> sorry for the nerdy reference. No, I love it. That's good. No, <laughs> I, don't worry, I'm nerdy too. You mentioned how one of your paths of the Xylem Innovation Labs is currently being reworked. Yeah. So you're also a work in progress object. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that's true. I, th I think that we really enjoy thinking about how we iterate. Our whole team, like we joke about how after we have something good happen, we start writing down how it can improve for the next iteration. <laughs> we have a, a running list of ways that we can improve our 2024 accelerator. And we started it literally on January, I think, 24th, right after we launched our first accelerators. So like different ways. And we know that there, there's always ways to improve and we don't want to get complacent and we don't want to stay. And there's, I think, a lot of different types of innovation. There's technology innovation, there's solution innovation. There's also business model innovation. There's process innovation. I think it's our role as a team to make sure that what we're doing every single year is better than it used to be. Suez used to have a venture arm. Vilia used to have a venture mm -hmm. arm. They no longer have it. Yeah. I don't know if other companies even used to have such an arm, but yeah. to my knowledge, the only company of that size which has something remotely equivalent to what you're doing is Evoqua. Uh -huh. Is it a surprise that you're good friends? On a serious note, yeah. do you think other companies should be doing it or you're just happy they don't do it because that means you have less competition for the cool kids? I want all of our competitors to work with us. So you folks should go listen to uh, your interview with Piers Clark from earlier about Trial Reservoir. One of the projects that I'm most excited about that we're going to undergo, that we're really launching now is funding a new Trial Reservoir focused on industrial treatment and very capex intensive industry. It's very hard to pick winners there, thinking about like who's the right horse versus just like, can we fund a whole group? 
we want to work with all of our partners. So we'd love Veolia, we'd love Suez, we'd love all these other folks to come in. There's more space to collaborate. And yes, there, we're still ultimately going to be competitive for getting investors and we're a public equity company, yes. But I think there's a lot more space to, to work together and grow the pie for everybody. Just in the past couple of weeks, we've seen a number of different end users launch their own accelerator. Curious how that kind of unveils. There's here at Bluetech, talked to some folks from the 100 plus accelerator, mm. which is a collaboration with some of who are competitors themselves. We're always interested. So anyone who thinks of Xylem as either a partner or competitor, feel free to call me. I'd love to chat, figure out ways we can work together. I guess you already have good relationship to, to those people of like-minded people. some of our biggest people. clients. Yeah, Veolia and Suez, and the, because a lot, especially with their water management solutions, Evoqua, one of our bigger clients as well. I was thinking of your Water Action Agenda Pledge, mm. which you introduced together with several of those yeah. companies, yeah. plus Bluetech, I think, yeah. which is the second largest pledge in that agenda. Uh -huh. I don't know if it's a good or bad news, honestly, but yeah. uh, congratulations yeah. for being the second largest pledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that pledge is an investment in R&D. So mm -hmm. that means that you're seeing this yes. investment in R&D as Correct. a way to solve the challenges we're facing, including SDG 6. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was, you're referring to the pledge that was an, announced during UN Water Week. For us, it's, it's just another example of us all like putting a target out there. Some, you asked what our KPIs were, just trying to be honest about what our numbers were, because I think once you announce them, it's a lot harder to back down. So we, we wanna all commit to some value. We all wanna come together and, and work together. And maybe there are some spaces where we'll continue to operate in separate sandboxes. Maybe there's gonna be places that we kind of butt heads in the same sandbox, but I think there's oftentimes a, a coopetition model that I think is, is much more possible. That's a perfect neologism to, I've never heard it. It's the co- Coopetition. Coopetition, great one. Sometimes I, I rue the fact that I I spent time getting an MBA and spent the money to get an MBA, but I did learn a few, <laughs> a thing or two there. So that was one of the, the terms actually that from one of my professors, he coined it. Well, I'll keep it as, as the closing for this deep dive. Yeah. Sounds like, like the perfect conclusion. So thanks a lot yeah. for the openness and sharing how you, you deal with all that stages of the Exam Innovation Labs. To round out these interviews, yeah. I have a set of rapid fire questions. So Go that's fine for you. Please love it. It's time for the rapid fire questions. My first one is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? What I talk about Trial Reservoir is something I'm really excited about. And I think collaboration in the water sector has not happened as frequently as I would have wished. And I think this is a chance to bring all these people together. I had my first phone calls ever with groups like Trojan and Pentairs and all the and all the kind of the folks that are theoretically our competitors. We've talked to a lot of those folks to try to work together and hopefully they do come together. But either way, even if they don't don't decide to, it's it's the effort and the idea of it working together all coming. That that's what I'm excited about. Okay, I'll stop, but Trojan is not going to be your competitor very long. But okay. <laughs> that's a different story. Can you name one thing that you learned the hard way? I think that technology itself is is not good enough. It needs to be, it's all about the execution. There are a number of the companies that I was most excited about in our first accelerator, for example, that they just have sensational technology. And I think that it should work. It feels like it solves a huge problem and there's not enough regulatory push or the sales cycle is too long and it's just like too hard. It's about management of a company. That's, that's really interesting. Is there something you're doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? I hope so. No, uh, no. I, th I think there's a there's always ways to iterate and get better. Certainly, I'm sure there's room for AI. If you ask that question, everyone kind of says that. Uh, first one, you're the first one ever to give AI here. Seriously? Oh, Seriously, wow. I'm shocked. Okay, well then I can talk about AI. I didn't want to be unoriginal. So at least in my mind, 
there will be opportunities for scouting and pulling up new names that will make it easier. And I'll spend more and more of my time engaging my colleagues and analyzing whether it's a fit as opposed to identifying the names in the first place. I think it'll almost become democratized who everyone is. It's a very interesting point because I do believe you're going to be right in the long term especially now that ChatGPT connects to the internet. Oh, man. <laughs> but um, Walid Khoury was with us just before we started recording, mm -hmm. and Walid made an exercise with ChatGPT, having an interview with ChatGPT about water. Yeah. And honestly, the answers were, at best, vaguely right. Yes. <laughs> at best. <laughs> I, I don't know. I did a search about, like, what are the biggest water challenges facing our industry right now? And it wrote it in a way I was like, man, I definitely scared me a little bit how, how good it was. And it was like, certainly with the amount of effort it put it, amount of time, it came out, something was pretty strong. Yeah, I did that experiment. I uh, was able to introduce an action in the UN Water Action Agenda, fully written by ChatGPT, copy-paste, and it yeah. got accepted by the UN. So maybe... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good for you. Smart. Yeah. That's entrepreneurial. I would have loved for it to be rejected. <laughs> it would have avoided me proving a point I didn't want to prove. But okay, yes. that's a different topic. That's a different topic, yeah. <laughs> What's the trend to watch out for in the water sector? Hopefully that we're pushing more and more collaboration. I think there will also be more companies, not traditionally, in the water sector that come in. So recently you might have heard uh, the Microsoft Fido AI or like there's the collaboration there. I think you're going to have more and more of that as well. Uh, Victoria Edwards has was my guest on that microphone mm -hmm. several months ago. Mm -hmm. And I tried to, to, to trick her into admitting that what they're doing with Microsoft and, and Thames Water is a kind of water trading with extra steps. But, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but she had also a very compelling explanation as to why it's not the case. So I, yeah. I will be fair to her and say that yeah. uh, it's, it's not the case. It's interesting. And frankly, I'm, I'm happy that there's getting more and more like insight and focus on the water sector. Water challenges are everywhere. It affects every single company. It affects every organization. We want more and more players to do it. And I think you're going you're gonna to hear about that happening even more. I mentioned ChatGPT as an assistant. Let me be the replacement for ChatGPT for sure. a second. Sure. I can be your assistant. You can delegate me one task and uh -huh. I'm free to not make it because okay. I'm a yes. really terrible assistant. <laughs> but what would it be? Ooh. I want you to keep doing what you're doing. I want you to do more storytelling and hopefully do it about collaboration. I talked about my, my Economics 101 comparative advantage. Stick with that. You're good at this. Keep, telling this. keep telling stories. Keep interviewing interesting people, diverse perspectives. That's what I want you to do. Oh. Can, you, can you do that? Is hey. that something? You're going to say no to that? You're a good boss. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> By the way, I discovered that uh, there's an SDG, I think 17, which is dedicated to collaboration. Uh -huh. And I discussed with some utilities which have put this one as north. Everybody's taking SDG 6. We're yeah. water people, so it yes, should be SDG 6. Talk about all the time. Um, then you have John Robinson from Mesin Venture explaining that all the other ones are very relevant mm -hmm. to water. SDG 6 maybe not, mm -hmm. but all the others are. Uh, that's me extrapolating, mm -hmm. not saying that SDG 6 is not relevant. And then you have these utilities going after SDG 17. And I think maybe that's the best route because collaboration, as you demonstrated it today, is probably the way to go. So. Thanks a lot for the long form explanation. No, of course, it's good, yeah. <laughs> and uh, last question, we have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite on that microphone as soon as possible. One of my colleagues, Anna Santino, she started this organization called Her 2.0, which is awesome. It's trying to bring diverse perspectives and women into the water space and with, with STEM backgrounds. That's wonderful. You definitely talk to her. Anna Huber from the World Economic Forum. She's created her own accelerator and brought in a lot of diverse point, uh, perspectives if you've met her. You're the second person to recommend her to me today. Wow. So, okay. 
It sounds like a I can send the strong intro to planet. Certainly like Christine Boyle, former Xylem, former entrepreneur. She just is going to work at Burnt Island Ventures. You could do a collaboration between her and Tom Ferguson. I think that would be an awesome podcast. And then I used to work, for, I, I said, uh, for an organization, Echo River Capital. Peter Yellis is really brilliant, has been one of my mentors in the water space. Uh, he's really, would be really interesting to have on a podcast. I'll take you as a producer. You have a, you, I guess you're a scout, so you're, you're scouting. <laughs> I, 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 it's someone once, I don't remember who it was, but they said that plagiarism is when you take one person's idea. Research is when you take a lot of people's ideas. So I like to just take and sprinkle in a bunch of different ideas from a lot of people that I've learned from. Again, perfect conclusion. If people want to follow up with you, where should I redirect them the best? I think I'm I'm best over not over email. I'm horrible at email. LinkedIn messaging me. I'm I'm the only Max Dordo, Jewish first name, Italian last name, not that common, <laughs> so easy to find me. The Zylem Innovation Labs has a website on the Zylem. You can find us there. There's a contact form if you're interested in connecting with Zylem Innovation Labs as a whole. Those are probably two places to better find me. But I like the personal touch, so just message me on LinkedIn and we'll start texting and it'll be fast. As always, go to the show notes, you'll see all the details, the link directly to you. In case there's a second Max Dorto who just created his account yesterday, you never know. That way we'll cover it, we're sure. Yeah. It was a great pleasure to spend that time with you. I'm sorry, we went far over the limit. I had a lot it, of fun, Antoine, don't worry. I could have made it even longer, <laughs> so, so thanks a lot for all the insights you shared, and I hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Antoine. Good, good to talk to you too. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.